You're listening to CJRU 1280 AM in Toronto, and this is Speaking for Change. I'm Kike Roach. For the past six years, I've been the Unifor National Chair in Social Justice and Democracy at Toronto Metropolitan University. The mandate of the chair is to create a hub of interaction between social justice activists and the academic community. In 2011, Winnie Ng and Salman Khan started Social Justice Week, and it's since continued under my stewardship. Every year, it has brought together TMU students, staff, faculty, and the broader community to raise awareness and inspire action. Over the years, we've hosted dozens of notable speakers, centered essential conversations, and encouraged and supported countless students to become more engaged in their communities. The fall of 2022 marked the final edition of Social Justice Week. A dozen years of events has left us a valuable archive of recordings touching on issues that remain extremely relevant today. So we wanted to share some of them with you. Speaking for Change is a weekly series of recordings from the past decade-plus of Social Justice Week, a space to reflect on and celebrate the work of progressive changemakers. Over the years, Social Justice Week not only showcased brilliant artists, scholars, and activists, it also provided students with skills-building workshops and offered them concrete advice on how to go about making progressive change in their immediate communities and the wider world. These words of wisdom came from people with a track record of positive impact as community leaders. People like Angela Robertson. Angela Robertson is a lesbian feminist author and activist working on issues affecting low-income, black, racialized women's and LGBTQ communities. She is widely respected for implementing life-transforming programs for women in Toronto. She is currently Executive Director of Queen West Central Toronto Community Health Centre. Among other publications, she co-edited Scratching the Surface, Canadian Anti-Racist Feminist Thought. She's been a board member of the Black Coalition for AIDS Prevention, HouseLink Community Homes, and the Stephen Lewis Foundation. In this episode from Social Justice Week 2014, Angela Robertson unpacks the concept of intersectionality. She shares strategies for creating a more just world and reflects on the importance of building alliances. Um, so first, um, let me thank the organizers for organizing the fourth annual Social Justice Week. And the various faculties of student networks and unions for supporting this convening. You have created space for us to be courageous in asking critical questions about education for social change, social justice movement building, resistance, and affirmation of the fact that a different world is possible. This is a risky project these days as we're sandwiched between a neoliberal agenda and an increasingly conservative politic that would want us to believe that the threat to national security and the defense of our state so-called democracy is justification for the limitations of rights and large-scale military intervention to keep the world and our nations as is, or to return us to some romanticized notion 
of the past when we were supposedly all safer and stable. I have been asked by my elders, friends, and sisters in the scrubby, Winnie and Akua, to offer some remarks about interrogating intersections and building alliances for social change in our collective project to make a world that is more different and more just. And I want to say thank you to them for asking when I felt that it was a tat team because they both called me at the same time and I felt I couldn't say no. Before I begin, and as we have this conversation, it is important for us to acknowledge that the history of European settlement of Canada is marred by genocide and exploitation of Aboriginal peoples. The theft of their land and the continuing violence of their marginalization. The constellation of Aboriginal peoples' dispossession, and you see that there are signs and there are information posters here that locates that history. But the constellation of Aboriginal peoples' dispossession is based, in fact, as well on legal, legally constructed and encoding legislation in this country. We must recognize that Aboriginal peoples' marginalization was deliberately manufactured. Hence the need for all of us who came after, who seek to work for social justice in this country, must be in solidarity and alliance with Aboriginal peoples' fight for land and social change. It is also important for me when talking about social change to locate myself. I am the child of a mother who immigrated to Toronto under what was then called the Caribbean Domestic Workers Scheme, now called the Living Caregiver Program. I was left in my whole country and grew up with grandmothers. One who worked cutting cane, washing and cleaning, and cooking in school cafeterias like this institution. When I joined my mother here in this city, I heard her stories of struggle against exploitative employers who then and today continue to treat livid caregivers as their personal slaves. My mother had the insight to apply for landed status near the end of her employment contract behind her employer's back. She was successful, but not before being taken to small claims court by her employer for the price of the plane fare he paid for her travel to Toronto. And at the same time, her fast of stake, he claimed she ate without his authorization. Again, she had the insight to borrow money from friends and keep that money with her to the courts, which enabled her to repay both the cost for the stake and the cost for the politic. So here I stand coming from that history. I share this piece of my not so unique immigrant story so you can see the intersecting sites of inequality that my mother traveled, that many women 
and many parents and many of them. You are our families have trapped So I was identifying from my mother's story to illustrate the points of intersection and what we mean tangibly when we talk about intersecting vocations. So from my mother's story, one is that her coming here was part of a state-sanctioned temporary work program, which structures then structured then and still continues to structure today the exploitation and the precarity of immigrant women. Two, her gender. Three, her immigrant status, and at the beginning, a very tenuous status because it was linked to an employment program. Her working class location, and therefore her place in the labor market, one of low wage with little or no protection. And her race and the state, Canadian state, targeting and particular targeting of black and immigrant women to fill these particular roles. And today the program is called the Living Caregiver Program and the large percentage of individuals participate and who are sought to participate in that program are largely Filipino women. Hence these multiple locations and site of inequality. It is important in our work and practice to create a more just world that we interrogate and address the multiple sites of oppression or undertake to always bring an intersectional analysis and strategy to all that we do. As you can see from my mother's experience, the concept of intersectionality is not an abstract notion, but the description of the multiple ways oppression are experienced and its tangible impact on material conditions. Black scholar Kimberly Crenshaw coined the term intersectionality in her then insightful essay, 1989, the the intersection of race and sex, a black feminist critique of discrimination doctrine, feminist theory, and anti-racist politics. Indeed, Crenshaw uses the following analogy, referring to a traffic intersection or crossroad to concretize the concept. She states, consider an analogy to traffic in an intersection, coming and going in all four directions. Discrimination, like traffic through an intersection, may flow in one direction and it may flow in another. If an accident happens in that intersection, it can be caused by a car traveling from any nominal directions, and sometimes from all of them. Similarly, if a black woman, my mother, I would use an example, is harmed because she is in an intersection, her injury could result from sex discrimination or race discrimination but it is not always easy to reconstruct an accident. Sometimes the skid marks at the injuries simply indicate that they occurred simultaneously. Frustrating efforts to determine which driver caused the harm. 
So Prenshaw argues, I believe, that a key aspect of intersectionality lies in its recognition that multiple oppressions are not each suffered separately, but rather as a single synthesized experience. This, I believe, has enormous significance at the very tactical level of movement building. At the same time that Fenshaw introduced the term intersectionality in 89, it was widely adopted because it managed to encompass in a single word the simultaneous experience of the multiple oppression was faced by racialized women. And at that moment, she was taught with black women specifically, but I think we can also broadly that to speak to a whole range of marginalized communities. But the concept then was not new because sometimes in the context of slavery, black women have eloquently described the multiple oppressions of race, class, and gender, referring to the concept as interlocking oppression, simultaneous oppression, double jeopardy, triple jeopardy, and any number of other descriptives. Today, the term has been widely adopted in feminist and anti-racist and anti-oppression scholarship and in social justice activism to comment on the simultaneous experiences of the multiple oppressions individuals and communities seeking justice space. I therefore also suggest that because of this intersecting way in which we experience oppression, that we also need to take an interconnected and similar approach to the strategies we use of, as of forms of resistance. I want to also introduce another concept as in talk about and think about intersectionality. And this was brought to the table by another black feminist. In black feminist thought, knowledge, consciousness, and the politics of empowerment, a 1990 publication by another black feminist, Patricia Gill Collins, uses the concept of intersectionality to analyze how oppression worked together to produce injustice. But Collins added another concept that she called the matrix of domination. And she added this to Crenshaw's formulation in stating that the matrix of domination refers to how these intersecting oppressions are actually organized, regardless of the particular intersections involved, that these domains of power reappear across different forms of oppression. So it also speaks to the fact that intra-groups that experience oppression that there are at times similar dynamics that is played out in crop community because we also, even with the context of us as marginalized folks in crop community have issues that create additional marginalizing impact. And we, you know, I can use the example of black women in the civil rights movement who largely the podium was given to the men and the women were relegated to prepare the sandwiches and do the organizing, but never to take the podium. So even in those spaces, we too have our own work to do. So black feminists since that time have made a priority of examining the interlocking relationship between race, gender, and class that many white feminists 
tended to ignore in the 60s to the early 80s. In doing so, they demonstrated that racialized women are not merely doubly oppressed by both sexism and racism. Racialized women's experience of sexism is shaped equally by racism and class inequality and is therefore different in certain respects to the experience of white middle-class women. That's a reality we need not shine from and avert as we seek to do the work of a land's building. The site of difference, therefore, I think is a place of consternation, but it is also one of alliance and solidarity building as we acknowledge the privileges that we have and strive to work across our differences to create a more equitable society. So we need not say we're all the same. And that's the only thing that matters. We need to acknowledge our differences and work with that difference as part of the strength that can clearly build the world that we want to see. In witnessing the struggles of my mother and grandmother, I made a promise to myself for the lines of mothers, grandmothers, that I'm sign myself up wherever possible to fight and change those things that devalue black and working people's lives and produce poverty, shame, rage, illness, hurt, silence, inequality, and injustice. I therefore ask as students, as folks who are developing your skills to continue and to be engaged in this new world and creation, that you find your anchors for why you commit yourself to work on the project of creating a more just world. Your commitment to these principles will shape a space for your inspiration when all things around you would suggest that a different world is not possible. Finding a network and building alliance, I believe, is foundational as it provides a base of support and a mobilizing force that we can call upon when the echoes against oppression is needed to advance change. And we've seen some of this kind of mobiliz mobilization in the Idemol War movement and in the occupying movements. In high school, I joined what was then a group called the Black Women's Collective. So I always see join a group. And this was a Black feminist collective with a manifesto. They had to fight against racism, racialism, sexism, lesbian oppression, heterosexism, homophobia, ageism, capitalism, class exploitation, imperialism. So include everything in your basket. With a commitment to collective criticism and self-reflection, what we know um, folks sometimes want to do only in therapy. And I'm saying we need to do that in our social movements. What that we've taught me is that movements against oppression are critical and that acts of resistance sometimes only require the commitment of a few who risk saying no. 
the, and the faith to discard all notions of the practical, as practicality can limit actions for just change. But these movements, I think, can instead invest in hope and possibility that we can, in fact, work to create this new and just and more different world. And this building across community, I believe, underscores a recognition of the intersecting ways in which inequality operates. And therefore, I believe, reinforce the principles that there is no justice in creating equality for some and leaving inequality in the path of others. The aim of intersectionality within the black feminist tradition has been towards building a stronger movement for women's liberation that represents the interests of all women. Barbara Smith, another black feminist lesbian scholar and publisher, described her own vision of feminism, and she states, I have often wished I could spread the word that a movement committed to fighting sexual, racial, economic, heterosexist oppression, not to mention one which opposes imperialism, anti-Semitism, the oppression visited upon people with disabilities, the young, the old, and at the same time that is cha that challenges militarism had imminent nuclear disruption is not a narrow opposition and it's not a narrowed movement and it's not a narrow cause. This approach, I believe, to fighting oppression seeks to unite not only all those who are opposed and all those who are oppressed, but all those who are exploited by the organization of industry and capital into movement that fights for liberation and humanity. Coming close to it. But I believe we are doing this project and you are having this conversation at a time when the, we are in the midst of what I call a bit of an ideological correction, federally, provincially, municipally, and globally. And we are at risk of losing the gains we have won for equality if we do not continue the relentless work for social justice and change. We should not even, I believe, be having this conversation. These inequalities should not be present and protection for equity should not be under threat at all. We should be in a conversation about how we will provide broader, more democratic rights, deeper social peer for all citizens. Instead, we are forced to contend with an ideology that seeks to find innovative ways of how to cut, how to curtail rights, and asking that we marginalized communities and those who seek to resist their exploitation participate in our further marginalization by supporting regressive immigration policies that cut refugees' access to healthcare, that we support the carding of and the profiling of racialized youths to demonstrate how committed we are to becoming model citizens or creating safe communities, that we participate in the dismantling of unions 
when we hear the vilifying of public sector workers as overpaid and underworld. That he participate by cutting these cuts or limiting investments in social programs as a way to reduce taxes on the big class and the promise that we will become the middle class, so therefore we should be committed to not paying taxes. And ongoing attempts by our federal government to use the notion of defending exploited women and girls elsewhere to justify militarized actions while at home. They refused to convene a national inquiry into the missing and murdered Aboriginal women and or to take concrete actions to stop and prevent future murders. So what does this mean for our work? I believe it means that we work, that when we work in silos, it is a gift to the neoliberal forces who seek to keep entrenched the notions of social justice seekers as special interest groups. And then I heard one of the city um, mayoral candidates use that term once again, that we are special interest groups and that we are disconnected therefore from the interest of the majority. Hence, wherever we are, we must seek to build alliances across the spectrum of our differences and locations to further each other's goals. That we must do this, we must also acknowledge and tackle the ways in which privilege and oppression intersects, informing each of our experiences. And while we do this, it's also acknowledged that this is a messy and scary project but it is an important work if we intend to create this new and different world. All this integration and interplay is what gives us strength and what we will need to create a world that is different or more just. However, what binds us is a commitment to take action against social equality. Our locations in our communities may vary we will have different tools, bargaining, social action, protests, mass mobilization, collective agreements, teaching, knowledge exchange, but our commitment to take action against social and inequality must remain our anchor. The consequences for all of us as allies are brave, I believe, if we fail but it opens the door for those seeking to undermine our movements to play us against each other if it separates and if we separate ourselves from each other and if we separate issues of race, gender, sexual orientation, disability, immigrant status, etc. So therefore, I want to finally say that strengthening the future must include mindfulness about how we build alliances with Aboriginal communities who have the worst outcomes when we look at all of the broad social determinants of health. And we need to be vigilant to not allow our successes and advances to be used to diminish the struggles of Aboriginal peoples in this country. And I say that specifically as an immigrant because 
sometimes the language of multiculturalism have been used to position the quote-unquote newcomers to speak against, if not directly, but sometimes indirectly to undermine First Peoples' cause and First Peoples' in inequities in this country. So we cannot participate in that modern immigrant cat project. So we too must remember there is no justice in creating quite equity to certain things and leaving inequalities in the back of others. That was author and community leader Angela Robertson on Interrogating Intersections and Building Alliances from Social Justice Week 2014. Thanks for listening to Speaking for Change on CJRU 1280 AM in Toronto, a retrospective on Social Justice Week programming at Toronto Metropolitan University. Every week this semester, we're highlighting a talk or panel from the past 12 years of Social Justice Weeks. Tune in at the same time next week for a new episode. I'm your host, Kike Roach. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.